Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful for another day we can come here and and uh, enjoy an extra hour of study and uh, getting into the confession and understanding how we can stand before you as righteous through the doctrine of justification. So Lord, we pray you would help us to understand and to search the scriptures and to better be more impressed with the work of Christ for us and then out of love and gratitude seek to live for him. Pray in Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so we are uh, back in chapter 11. We're looking at the doctrine of justification. Justification, and uh, we recall that this is a legal declaration that God makes for us. So this is what we call a forensic uh, thing. It's a, like a courtroom setting. It is God as the judge who is declaring us righteous, not guilty, because of the work of Christ. And so I want to kind of review a little bit, and then we're going to look at chapter four is where we'll spend most of our time today. So um, the outline of our confession, we see that we break it up into four parts. First principles, the covenant, God-centered living, and then the world to come. And so we're in the center of the covenant section, which deals with chapter seven to 20. And this section here uh, from uh, of the covenant uh, has a section here that deals with God's uh, actions towards us or the covenant blessings. So we see that from chapter 10 to 13, which deals with the effectual call, justification, adoption, sanctification. This is God's work that he does in our lives. From that, we see the following is our responses. So reminding you of the outline that we see for chapter 11 through these paragraphs. Paragraph one is going to deal with the nature of justification. Paragraph two, the instrument of justification Paragraph three, the basis of justification, um, or we could call it even the justice and mercy of justification. And then paragraph four is the timing of justification, which we'll look at today. And then we'll see ongoing fruit of justification and the justification of old covenant believers. So this is a, a doctrine that is very crucial. This is what separated the Protestants from the Catholics. They understood uh, based on grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, that we are justified based on the work of Christ. Okay, justify means to declare righteous. It's a legal declaration that God does. And so let's just read paragraph one, which is dealing with the doctrine as a whole, and we'll just review that a little bit here. It says, those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and soul righteousness. They receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is a gift of God. <clears throat> okay, so here in this paragraph is the nature of justification. And notice it starts off with three denials and three affirmations, right? Not by infusing righteousness, right? So that, that, in other words, that doesn't mean uh, that God is making righteousness within us. He, we, it's not by producing righteousness in us. Our justification isn't based on that, but by pardoning their sins, 
and accounting and accepting the persons as righteous, right? And so the Catholics would say this is a legal fiction. The person is a sinner. They're not righteous. So you can't just say he's declaring you righteous if you aren't uh, intrinsically righteous in some way. So that's why they hold to infusing righteousness. It's, it's God who is making righteousness within us. And the Reformed are very particular. The Protestants are very particular in saying it's not by infusing righteousness. It, it's by the act of Christ's righteousness alone. Um, again, not by anything wrought in them or done by them. So justification, our legal standing before God, the reason why God will accept us and we enter into heaven is not by anything wrought in them, not anything done by us. It's um, for Christ's sake alone. He's the one who merits everything in light of our justification. For the reason we can stand before God and God tells us, why should I let you into heaven? The appeal is because of Christ, because of his active righteousness that is imputed to our account because of the uh, the pardoning of our sins that he did for us on the cross. It's all for the glory of Christ. He's the reason why we are accepted um, for his sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing or any other evangelical obedience as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ. Okay, so we'll stop there. <clears throat> So not by imputing faith. Faith is a gift. We are given it, right? But it's not faith in itself that is imputed to us that makes us righteous. It's the righteousness of Christ. Um, faith is given to us. We also are do- called to produce evangelical obedience, right? We look at much of the New Testament and we see that we are called to live for the glory of God. We're called to shine as lights, in a dark world, we're called to love our neighbor. We're called to do many things. That's that's what we call evangelical obedience, right? It's in light of you being saved, here's how you show your gratitude for loving God. You show this not by meriting anything, not by earning salvation, not by maintaining your way or uh, earning your way into heaven. It's It's out of gratitude, Evangelical obedience has no play in justification. Um, And so notice, not any evangelical obedience, that's gospel obedience. It's in light of you being saved, here's what you are to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me, right? Your justification is not based on your love for Christ and your obedience to him. It's all based on the work of Christ. Now, are we called to obey Christ? Yes. Are we called to love him? Absolutely. But that's not justification. Um, So, now it has um, what we are, how we can be considered righteous, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for the whole and sole righteousness. Okay, so we are imputed with Christ's righteousness. And, you know, we talked about in his work of mediator of the covenant that he is achieving active righteousness and passive righteousness for us. Um, his passive obedience, we can say. Active obedience, passive obedience is the sum of his righteousness. Obedience to the law, every jot and tittle, uh, he obeyed. He did what we were called to do. Love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Neighbor is himself. Jesus did it perfectly without sin. And so that righteousness is then credited to our account because he's our representative. Because by faith we're united to him and then we can be declared righteous. But then we're sinners, so... God is just, he has to punish sin, so Christ takes upon uh, 
the passive obedience dying for us in our place so we can enjoy forgiveness. So what role do we play? Notice receiving and resting. That's what faith is defined as, receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not in themselves as a gift of God. So we went through all those passages. So what do we see? We see justification is dependent on Christ alone. It isn't dependent on our evangelical obedience or gospel obedience in any way. Um, And the divine source of this justification is who? It's the gift of God. God is the source of justification. Okay, paragraph two talks about the instrument of justification. We can say the, the, the tool or the vehicle by which we are justified. Okay, and we can say simply this paragraph says it's by faith alone, not works, but faith is never alone. Okay, so notice paragraph two. Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification, yet is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but works by love. Okay, again, you see the works there at the end by love, love in a sense of love and gratitude. That's your response. That's not the basis for being justified. So faith is passive here. What is faith? Faith thrust receiving and resting on Christ. Notice, again, they emphasize receiving and resting. It's the empty hand that takes what it's given, right? Christ is the righteousness, and we have nothing in our hand to bring to deserve anything. We just receive what he gives to us. That's what faith is, and faith is more than just mere knowledge. It's more than just believing in facts. It's actually resting and trusting, right? So we heard... um, you, you know, uh, knowledge, assent, trust. That's how you define faith. You can you, you have this knowledge of the facts, okay? You ascend to understand what that means. Your eyes are open, and then you trust in that. You rest in that solely, okay? <clears throat> so faith, notice, is the alone instrument of justification. Cosmo? So word the rest there has a connotation of trust, yeah. And emotionally being more spiritually being at ease. Yeah. Like stable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, during youth group, I give the illustration of faith and I says, um, I give the illustration of a chair. And it's been, you know, theologians have done this in the past. And so if you have that stool over there and you put it, and I take off two, sorry, I'm not wearing a mic. I take off two of the feet, and I say, I want you to sit in that chair. You're like, I, I'm not sitting in that. I don't, I don't trust it. You're not going to rest in it with all your weight, right? Because it's going to collapse. It's not an object that's worthy of our trust, right? But if we have a chair that we can look is stable, it's solid, we, we let our full weight on it, right? And, and that's an example of, of kind of trust. We're, we're trusting in the object. Um, and Christ is the object that is worthy of trusting. We, we completely rest on him. Our full weight is on him because uh, we see him as an object worthy of our trust. And that means, you know, you're not holding yourself up by one hand as you're resting. You're, you're completely resting in him. And so that's just a helpful illustration there. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it gives you it should give you stability. It should give you assurance. It should uh, 
that idea of rest is, okay, we don't have to work anymore because Christ did it all. So the alone instrument. So faith is not just one of many instruments. It's not just one of a few instruments. It's the alone instrument um, of justification. Instrument being a vehicle, uh, a tool by which God gives us uh, so that we can uh, grasp uh, justification. It's the alone instrument, right? And that's, that word alone is really what distinguished the Protestants from the Catholics. They, they held, oh yeah, you need faith. You need faith for sure, but you also need you need works too. You need penance. You need to do all these other things, right? And the Protestants were like, no, it's faith alone by our, that we have a right standing with God. But we're saying faith is never alone, right? It's, faith is the only instrument, but good works, love, graces that follow in a believer's life, that's true of them. And so faith is never alone, <clears throat> it, but is ever accompanied with other saving graces and is no dead faith, but works by love. The key there is, is love. The works that are done, the good graces, all these other things that happen that show faith is real is out of love and gratitude for the true uh, justification you have received, right? And so you do these things not because you're trying to merit justification or a right standing with God. You do these things because that's what true faith is going to do. That's the fruit, okay? <clears throat> so faith is the alone instrument. Any questions on one and two? Okay, let's read three. Um, <clears throat> this is, we can define the justice and graciousness of God. We went into this last time in full detail, but uh, just notice, um, let's read it. Uh, Christ, by his active and by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of those who are justified and did by their sacrifice of him in the blood of his cross, undergoing in their stead the penalty due to them make a proper, real, and full satisfaction of God's justice in their behalf, yet as, inasmuch he was given by the Father for them. And his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, and both freely, not for anything in them, their justification is only a free grace, and both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. <clears throat> okay, so here we see that true justice was paid in full. It was paid in full by Christ. In his obedience and in his death, uh, the, the debt was paid. The Father accepts Christ's work fully for us in the believer's stead on his behalf, right? So the believer has a great debt. Christ pays the debt by his sacrifice on the cross, but also by his righteousness credits to our account. The Father uh, accepts that as payment for us in our stead. And, and you might be thinking, okay, well, how is that gracious or how is that mercy if, if Christ is having to go through that? Well, it's, it's because the Father doesn't give that to us. He, he doesn't put the justice on you. He puts it on another and he gives us Christ. And in that sense, that is gracious and merciful. Um, so that's why he can say it's all of grace. He does that on our behalf. So for Christ, um, this costs him everything. But for us, it's, it's a free gift. Uh, it's something, notice it, it's only a free grace that we have this. Um, it's only a free grace that we're not punished for our sins, but God, the Father, punished his very own son in our stead. Okay, so it's all of grace. Christ was punished for us. He lived for us 
so that we can be accepted before God. It's grace and mercy that we're not punished for our sins. And the result, notice the result, that both the exact justice and the rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. So here in God sending his son to pay for our sins in our stead by Christ fully satisfying the wrath of God and obeying the law perfectly, this gives God the glory. You see his justice on full display. God isn't this corrupt judge who's just going to overlook sin. No, he takes sin seriously and he punishes it. But he also shows his rich grace to the sinner who is receiving that grace uh, because Christ has represented him. And the result is God's glorified. Christ is magnified. And we who are the recipients of that, who are undeserving, are then called to worship. We're called to worship this great God out of love and gratitude. Right? That's where it says, true faith is never alone. It, 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 do, it does good deeds. It does works out of love. Because the more you realize what you've been saved from, and you realize what Christ has done to save you, uh, you're going to be more motivated to want to show your gratitude to him. That's the motivation for good works. That's the motivation for uh, living a good godly life, for, for persevering in the faith. That's the motivation for wanting to shine as lights in a dark world is understanding what Christ has done for you. Okay, let's look at paragraph four now. The timing of justification. God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect and Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit does in due time actually apply Christ to them. Okay, so this is a a very important paragraph that was added, not merely by the Baptists, but by all the Reformed who, who have this, because there was a doctrine back then called justification from eternity. And the doctrine kind of went like this. Well, because God decreed that he would justify us, an eternity past, then we must already be, be justified in God's eyes. In other words, before we even came into being and before uh, Christ actually died, we can say that we're not his enemies, but we're actually, um, we're not sinners. We're actually justified. Uh, and some would say, if that's the case, if we're justified before eternity, then it really doesn't matter if you believe in time and space, which, you know, just, isn't, doesn't compute with scripture. But this is where, you know, you go thinking about certain doctrines too much and you, you speculate on certain things, uh, it can lead into error, right? And so they're holding to the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and God's decree. And then, you know, there's things in the mind of God we're not to know, but then you come up to these different things and now you're, you're in error, okay? So they're saying, God decreed we're justified in eternity past, therefore we must be justified already even before we believe, even before we're born. But if you just read scripture, that doesn't describe the Christian experience. It doesn't describe our experience before we come to Christ. So they want to articulate this, and we see it done in three ways. Um, Here's some Latin terms for you. We see the pactum salutis, the historia salutis, 
and the ordo salutis. Okay, the pactum salutis would be, how would you define that? Y'all remember? Yeah, plan of salvation. Yeah, so salutis just means, yeah, salvation. Historia salutis, this one's easy. The history of salvation. So, yeah, the order of things that are done, or the history of what has happened for salvation. The ordo salutis is the order of salvation. How we, what is the order by which we are saved? And so here in, these, in this paragraph, we see the pactum salutis, historia salutis, ordo salutis. Pactum salutis, also known as covenant redemption. Okay? So notice pactum salutis. God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect. Okay, so there was a plan before the foundation of the world that God would elect a people for himself, that he would send his son to justify them. Okay, so it's affirming this understanding that if God elects you, he will justify you. That's the plan. Okay, so it's affirming. that That's what the people who, t- who held a justification from eternity were claiming. They're saying, yes, that is true, but stop there. Okay, don't keep going. Uh, God planned it to justify those he elects. And we see this, God planned to send Jesus to accomplish those things, right? And so we see that some of the proof texts here in our confession, Galatians 3.8, know then that is those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So it says he, he saw that he was gonna justify, he had a plan that he was gonna justify them But notice he didn't justify them at that moment. There was a future in which they would believe and embrace him by faith. So there's a plan there. So they're appealing to that text for that plan. 1 Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, the obedience of Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with the blood. So it's speaking of our salvation and how we have been bought by the blood of Christ and it says that's according to God's foreknowledge. It's according to his, his plan before the foundations of the world. This is what he would do to accomplish our justification. He would send Jesus, whose blood would be shed for us. 1 Timothy 2.6, For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So that's actually a text for the next section here. So there was a plan. If you're part of that plan, God elected you, he will also justify you. So that's true, right? That's the pactum salutis, okay? Now the historia salutis, how did God actually accomplish that in time and space? And Christ did, in the fullness of time, die for their sins, who's there, the elect, those whom are gonna be justified, and rose again for their justification. So this is, in a very brief sentence, summing up how Christ accomplished our salvation. In the fullness of time, he came, right? That's quoting Galatians. Uh, We're seeing that there. In the fullness of time, Christ came, born of a virgin. Why? So he could become like one of us, so that he could represent us, so that he could live a righteous life, so that he can go to the cross and die for our sins, right? And that's how justification is accomplished by Christ's work. That's how it's, it's, it's done is by recounting what has Christ done, okay? Uh, He died for sins and rose again for what? For their justification, okay? So that had to happen, Romans 4, 25. Jesus, our Lord, 
who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, Romans 4.25. Okay, so that we can say is the Historia Salutis. Here's the facts of how it was accomplished. Okay, so you can say there's three different time possibilities. When were we justified? Were we justified before the foundations of the world because uh, God planned it? Were we justified at the moment when Christ died for us? Or were we justified when we actually believed? Okay, so notice it says in the third section, the ordo salutis. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them. Okay, so Christ accomplished it in the past, in the historia salutis, but until you're united to Christ by faith, you can't be justified, right? And so it's saying this wasn't personally apply, uh, applied until the Spirit gave you faith to believe, till he renewed you with regeneration. Um, so even though God planned to justify, even though Christ has already paid the price, a person to be justified in time and space needs to believe. Because that's how you're united to Christ by faith. That's how he's your representative. That's how his righteousness is credited to your account. That's how forgiveness of sins is, is issued, pardoned to you by his blood, because you're united to him. And faith is that which unites us to Christ. So this is the order of salutis, right? You think of, of Romans 8, when it talks about the order of salvation, right? You're, you're called, you're elected, you're called, right? And then you're justified. Um, Colossians 1, 21. And you, who were once, notice who you were before, you were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, so you're not justified before eternity. This is who you were. You were hostile in mind. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh, in his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So this is to say elect sinners are not freed from the condemnation that is upon them for their sins until they're united to Christ. And how does that happen? By faith. Union with Christ is by faith. So it all takes place in the elect person's life in a certain time and space when you're regenerated and you're given faith to believe. That's when you're united to Christ by faith, and that's when you are justified. Until then, you're still under the condemnation. So elect sinners are not freed from that condemnation until they are united to Christ because he's your representative. But if you're not united to him, none of that applies yet. Even though he planned, even though he accomplished it, it's faith that unites us through the whole work of the Holy Spirit. So this helps us to avoid presumptive regeneration, right? So we don't want to just presume someone's already been regenerated, right? Just because you're born into a believing household doesn't make you automatically justified. It might mean you're, you know, you're set apart for your specific purposes. You're, you're blessed because you can be raised in Christian households, but justification needs to happen in a time and space when you believe. Uh, Titus 3, verse 4. When the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs 
according to the hope of eternal life. Romans 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath. For while we were his enemies, right? So you can't say you were justified before in eternity if you're considered his enemies before you believe. Make sense? We're his enemies. Now we're reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more shall we be saved by his life. So we were enemies of God, we were hostile in mind, we were alienated, separate from the promises of God, but that's described as before you came to faith. We were born dead in sin. And if we had died before we came to faith in Christ, we would face the condemnation for our sins. But God planned it, he's going to accomplish it in time and space. Ephesians 2, Paul brings us out in verse 3, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says that describes who you were. Before you came to faith, before you were united to Christ, before you were truly justified, you were nature by nature children of wrath. You were sinners, dead in sin. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we're dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, raised up with him, and seated with us in a holy and heavenly places in Christ. So that the coming ages, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God. So again, justification before eternity is incompatible. And to refute that, you simply look at all the passages that talk about who we were before we embraced Christ by faith. Hmm?
Yeah, it's just helping us be precise in understanding. Yeah, there's a logic, like you said, there's not this timing between certain things. Some of the things like regeneration of faith are often simultaneous. Like we don't know the, but there's a logical order. We know we must be made alive before we can actually believe, right? We, we know that it doesn't, you know, believing doesn't come before we're made alive because we're dead in sins. And well, we have to, we have to have faith to be justified. So the logical order would be like in Romans 8, called, elect, right? And the called is the effectual call, which would be regeneration. And then justification is, follows that. So I think there's a logical order, but oftentimes, yeah, they are simultaneous. And yes, if the lamb, if names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, God's going to accomplish that. And he's, but he's, how does he do it? Ordinarily, he does it uh, in time by... Uh, giving us faith to believe, and it's done ex- how we've explained it here. It's just oftentimes, you know, we're not, we don't want to separate these things, but we want to just be precise on what actually is taking place. What basis are we standing before God righteous? Well, I think the overarching issue is that it's all by Christ. I think that's what's Yeah, sometime. You get to find justification by something other than God. We end up in the deep side of the ditch. Yeah, we need to let the Bible define things. And I think how our confession outlines it, I think, is an accurate description of what is defined as justification. And not just, you know, for the Baptists, but for all the pro- all the Reformed, really. Protestants as well, they hold the same things here. Right. Yeah, so the, the error back then was the, um, it doesn't matter how you live because you've been justified for eternity, so you don't have to repent and believe. If you're justified from eternity because he's planned it, then, you know, so it's a bad logical conclusion that they've made, and it doesn't comport with Scripture. And so the point of bringing these texts out is to say, look, this is who we were before faith. After faith, that's when we're united to Christ. That's when we're actually justified. So, yeah, one more would be 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Right? And he goes on to pra- say a lot of these things. 
and such were some of you. Right? This is who you were, but you've been washed. You were justified. Uh, again, notice past tense, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit. So he's writing to believers and reminding them, this is who you were. You've been justified, so live in a way that's worthy of your calling. Don't go back to those old sins. So, so timing of justification, when does that happen? When we're united to Christ by faith. So we're justified not before we come to faith, but we're justified when God gives us faith. Okay, does that make sense? Right. Whenever scripture speaks of justification for the believer, it always does so in a past reality. Here's what you, you've been justified. Right. So this in light of timing of justification, right, we don't want to go like that way and say, okay, well, before eternity, so it doesn't matter in when we believe. No, that's when you're justified, is when you believe in faith. Um, but then you also have those who want to break it up and say, you know what, there's initial justification and final justification. Uh, I, the Bible doesn't know anything of that. Um, and so in this way, this is where it's almost like a return to Rome. Uh, a future justification is one based on evangelical obedience, that which is done according to faith plus the things we do, faith plus works. So that some who would hold to this would say, okay, we're justified by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, yes, but that is initial. But you're, you still need to be finally justified, and, and that happens by staying in it, maintaining it by our works, by your deeds. Our final justification is determined whether you persevere in doing good works. And so justification then is broken up into two parts, initial and final. And we see that that's not really what the scriptures teach at all. Um, we see this with uh, uh, N.T. Wright, uh, New Perspectives on Paul, Federal Vision. Uh, really what it is is it's a return to Old Testament mosaic kind of economy. Oh, they got into the land by grace, but then how did they maintain in the land by their obedience, okay, um, on the basis of their works, of their good deeds. So they get in by grace, but maintain it by their works. So it's wanting to say, well, yeah, we, we believe imputation by Christ alone for his righteousness on one hand, but on the other hand, we want infusion of righteousness. So when they read the word, it's by faith, you know, someone like an N.T. Wright would also read that and say, you know what? Faith can also mean faithfulness. What does faithfulness mean? Your works, your deeds. And they try to make it sound orthodox by saying faithfulness flows out of faith that's given as a gift. But in the end, the final justification is based on what? Your deeds, your works. So really it's a, it's a mixture of faith and works for justification. Um, I think this comes from motivation from people wanting to say, okay, uh, take your personal holiness seriously. Strive to do good works. Uh, but then they tie it in. It's really a return to Rome. 
That's really what it is. It's a confusion or merging of justification and sanctification. So the scriptures only know one justification um, when you're united to Christ by faith. It's based on Christ's work, not our own. There is no initial, there's no final. Justification for believers has, is always viewed as a past reality. Romans 5, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So in the final day, when we stand before the judgment seat of, of God, and he says, uh, you know, they'll point to texts like, uh, okay, that which you've done for the least of these, you've done for me, right? And, and texts like that are to say, that's how true faith is revealed for people to see that that's true faith. It's not earning or maintaining your way into heaven. It's showing he has true faith. It's vindicated before men, right? There's a reason the manner of death is the thief in the cross, the suffering and repentance. It's physically unable to do any Right. And, and one of the things, too, when we see the final judgment seat, or final throne, we've already been given glorified bodies. Judgment's already been done. We've already, the sheep have already been separated from the goats. Um, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Or 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ. So, be careful when you hear these initial and final justification language. Um, there's only one justification, and this is what we see in our, in our confession. So if there's an argument for future justification, uh, it's not confessional. It's not reformed. Um, so just understand the timing of justification happens once when we're united to Christ by faith. Yeah, we'll get into much more of this. Well, I'm just saying, um, to me, when it says uh, you know, Christ did in the most time by the and Christ did in the justification, nevertheless, they are not justified. So that really is well down in my mind, and from what I understand, that it is effectualized when we're regenerated. Not before. But it's there, nevertheless. It's not separate. It's not a new thing. It's already been done. But it's not made in us until we are regenerated and believe in that faith. It doesn't mean that justification wasn't there. It just wasn't us. It wasn't applied to us. Yeah. Exactly. It's, 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 like, the, it's like the car was made, but until the gas is put in it, it ain't gonna run. Right. You know, and, but it was never left there. It was a thing. Christ died for me way back there. Right. And that's when justification occurred. That's when, yeah. Yeah. You have to be careful that this is not a new thing. It's there all along, but it's just not mine. Right. 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 And that's when you're united to Christ. That's when it's applied to us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, justification happens uh, once in the believer's life. 
um, when they believe, when they're united to Christ, because it's their, it's that basis by which it's all Christ's work. It's his righteousness, not our evangelical obedience, that God can say, hit the hammer, righteous. It's all in his work. All right, we've got to be done. We'll get much more into this as we continue, but let's pray, and we'll get ready for worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you uh, that Christ has indeed justified us and that we can stand in your sight uh, because of his work. And so, Lord, help us then out of love and gratitude to see all the different commands that you give us uh, to, to show you that we cherish this verdict you've given us, to share that we cherish the work of Christ for us, and we are, are, want to live our lives worthy of our calling for him. In Christ's name, amen.